Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hey, happy Halloween, everybody in Pittsburgh. Uh, they pleaded with him not to come, and Donald Trump went anyway. That sort of sums up what he thinks about uh, what happened at that slaughter at the Pittsburgh synagogue and what he thinks about the families, the victims and their families, and the people of Pittsburgh. Hello, everybody. It is the Bill Press Show. Hello, hello, hello. Great to see you. Yes, indeed, on this Wednesday, last day of October and the big feast of Halloween. And there's lots of scary stuff going on. Indeed, you don't have to look much farther than 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue to find it all. Good to have you with us today. Appreciate your uh, joining us here for our roundup of the news of the day. What's happening here in Washington, what's happening around the country, uh, and what's happening around the globe, that's our job to bring it to you, your job to tell us what you think about it all. And again, a lot of big stories. The president were a de- with a decidedly low-key visit uh, to Pittsburgh, uh, where nobody met him, nobody wanted to meet with him, and nobody said goodbye, and nobody accompanied him, basically. Um, but he said he had to get it in because he's got so many political rallies to do that he couldn't wait a couple of days when the people wanted him uh, to come there. Uh, Meanwhile, the first of American troops have been sent down to the border to deal with a caravan of families that is over a 1,000 miles away, and we will have more people at the border to protect us against this caravan of women and children than we have fighting ISIS in Syria. How's that for having everything ass backwards, Mr. President. So much to talk about. Want to hear from you about all of the above. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. That just the tip of the iceberg. Where do you hear the rest of the news? But first, 
This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Talk about the end of an era. Yesterday at 8.20 a.m., prison authorities found Whitey Bulger dead. How about it, yep. Crazy story. Now, here's the deal. He was just transferred to a new correctional facility in West Virginia. He had only been there for a day when they came in yesterday morning, 8.20, found out that he had been killed. Beaten now, to death. By the way, a prison known for violence among the inmates and a prison known for former mob members. Yeah. Yeah, now, it's sort of like, <laughs> that's the last place they ought to have sent him. Well, I mean, Not that I was, feel sorry. No, I don't, really, I don't feel, feel but, sorry for him at all. But like, th- it was the last place that they should have sent him if they actually wanted him to live. Uh, that's true. So there's something to be said about the fact that the security guards and the prison system probably wanted somebody to take him out. Whitey Bulger, 89 years old. He lived all this time, lived a life of violence, and he died in a very violent manner. Uh, so that is it. He is gone. That puts some closure to uh, one of the most famous mob bosses in the history of America uh, to rest. So you know that, that, that whole story uh, hasn't been told well enough in the sense that so he is the worst of the worst, and he had a brother who was one of the outstanding, really good guys in Massachusetts. Yeah, who was brought down because he lied about the fact that when his brother was on the lamb. He did talk to him once, and he denied he had any contact with him. Uh, and he did talk to him on the phone once. I think he wasn't yeah. helping him, wasn't sending him money. He wasn't. But there's anyway. a great movie, uh, Black Mass, uh, about Whitey Bulger, and it's yeah. it's very good if you want to learn more about him. Uh, by the way, it is Halloween, as you mentioned. You know, the worst thing you could do at Halloween is get some like bad candy, right? We've all been there. You oh, get like I know. bad candy. Well, Reese's Peanut Butter Cup says they are going to help you out. If you get bad candy in New York City, they have what they're calling a candy converter machine. If you take your bad candy and you dump it into this bin, they will give you some good candy, some Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. I'm all for it. Yeah. You just turn do, in your trash candy and give, they give you some, some good candy. But I guess people, I think kids would identify bad candy as candy they don't like. That's true. Not necessarily poison candy. Right, right, you know right. I mean? Fair. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, let's throw something else against the wall. Yeah. Let's uh, let's deal with those anchor babies. That's the latest nut nutty idea from Donald Trump that he's throwing against the wall. And uh, when you know it, some people are falling for it. Hello, everybody. What do you say? Happy Halloween. How about it? Yes, trick or treat here on the Bill Press Show this Wednesday, October thirty-one. Hope you are ready for the hordes of kids who will show up at your door this evening. You got your clicker ready? Uh, Carol has her clicker all ready. All right, all oh, right. Yeah. yeah, we're always well over 100 because we live on a very busy street here uh, and uh, right here on, on Capitol Hill. And you know what happens is all the guests we have on the show, I mean, they all come by and, you know, they want their can. Joe Searins Joni is always there and Travis Waldron. Always. You know, yeah, I mean, they got all of them. They, John <laughs> Allen. Yeah. He comes with the biggest bag of all. To get of course. Candy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, of course. And they always just uh, eat us out of candy and <laughs> and gin and anything else we might have available. <laughs> uh, but it's a merry time of the year, and uh, but not a merry time of the year on the political front. 
it is getting worse and worse and going to get even worse today because Donald Trump starts off on an eight-state, 11-political rally tour between now and the midterms, which are only, God bless us, six days away. Hello, hello, hello. So much to talk about today. So we're glad to have you with us on this uh, Wednesday, October 31, as we come to you live, as always, from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., and join you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Uh, one more friendly reminder. People keep asking me, how's the podcast going? Podcast is going great. Gangbusters. But you got to be with us here on the podcast. So you got to go sign up and sign up and register on the podcast and be a regular part of the team. By the way, I, I've been meaning to mention that. I meant to mention this uh, the last couple of days. We had an interview up uh, this past weekend with a man by the name of Will Sommer, who who works with the Daily Beast, and he covers right-wing extremism, mm. uh, which we were mm-hmm. talking about the, the yeah. MAGA bomber. This was before we recorded the interview before the, the Pittsburgh uh, shooting. Uh, but he talks a lot about the rhetoric that's going around on the right wing, uh, and it's a very interesting interview about what's going on out there. And again, the only way you can hear that is if you are subscribed with us because we don't put it out as part of our regular podcast. We put it out on the weekend, so it came out on Saturday, but still worth a listen. Uh, and this week, uh, Governor Terry McAuliffe. Terry McAuliffe, yeah. yeah. Governor Terry McAuliffe, former governor of uh, of Virginia. A great job as governor of Virginia. Former chair of the Democratic National Committee. Uh, and a uh, one of many, shall we say, potential uh, Democratic candidates for president in uh, 2020. He is definitely, I've talked to him about it. Uh, I've interviewed him about it. He is definitely thinking about it. So, um Check that out for sure. Another reason for checking out the podcast. Uh, And we join you on the radio statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks and in the greater Chicago area in the big city of Chicago, one of my favorite cities on the planet, of course. Great people there as well, in addition to having a beautiful city uh, on WCPT and on Free Speech TV and television land as well. We're there with you with, again, so much to talk about. And we start out, yes, it was uh, a sad day yesterday uh, in Pittsburgh, uh, the first burials of the first victims of the massacre at the synagogue on Saturday. Uh, And again, the president forcing his way into a scene where nobody wanted him. He did not attend uh, the funerals because he was not invited. Uh, It was uh, he, the mayor, uh, pleaded with him. to delay his visit, Jewish leaders of the city of Pittsburgh, over 100, uh, issued a public letter to him asking him not to come at all, period, uh, because we don't like your divisive rhetoric. Um, several of the families asked the president not to come and refused to meet with him because they disagreed with him when he blamed the synagogue Uh, for not having armed guards, and if they had armed guards, the president said, right after the shooting, uh, maybe nobody would have been killed except the shooter himself. Uh, They resented that, rightfully so. Uh, And in the end, and uh, by the way, no city leaders met with him. No congressional leaders from Pennsylvania met with him. Some of them, the senior senator from Pennsylvania, Bob Casey, was not even invited uh, none of the congressional leaders, there were no members of Congress who att- uh, you know, attended with him or joined him yesterday. 
uh, the leaders of Congress, Republicans and Democrats, this is incredible, I think, just shows you how people have had it with Donald Trump's hateful rhetoric and don't want anything to do with him. He is so toxic. But both Nancy Pelosi and Paul Ryan, Speaker Ryan and Leader Pelosi, and Mitch McConnell, Republican leader, and Chuck Schumer, Democratic leader of the Senate, all four were invited to accompany the president on Air Force One to Pittsburgh. All four of them said, no, thank you. Hey, look. We don't want anything to do with this political stunt. Donald Trump is really is exactly a unifier. What it is. He yeah, really is unifying great... people <laughs> against him, but he's right. unifying. <laughs> so usually when the president shows up, right, uh, anywhere, they, there's the governor, the mayor, the local officials. They have a nice little welcoming team because he is, by the way, Republican or Democrat, particularly at a time of national tragedy because he's the president of the United States and he's there as a consoler in chief. Yesterday, nobody met him at the airport except the local head of the National Guard and his wife. That was the that, that's the only people they could find to come out and, and greet the president because he arrives at the Air Force Base with the National Guard, that part of the Air Force Base, right? I mean, yeah, pathetic. I mean, it, it, that's a pretty big deal yes. that nobody would meet him there. Yes. I mean, just think about this. Yes. is the president of the United States. Yes. Don't you think that would send a message? No, not to him. No. Yeah. Uh, and, and so he so he uh, he shows up. He goes to the, to the temple. He went to the temple. The rabbi, I understand, uh, met him. Uh, they lit, lit a couple of candles at the temple, laid, so left some roses at the temple, and then he went over to the hospital and talked to some of the law enforcement people and then got out of town. Meanwhile, over the, the estimated over 2,000 people, protesters, marched around the city of, of, of Pittsburgh uh, bearing signs uh, that uh, were pretty, pretty, pretty stark including signs like saying, President hate is not welcome in our state. No place for hate. I'm just looking at some of the signs, a lot of those. Stick with, stand with love and against hate, the signs on the part of the protesters, uh, many Jewish leaders and citizens of Pittsburgh uh, out there protesting the president's visit. And again, I think it says everything that the city itself and the city's leaders said, please, Mr. President, some of us may prefer you not to come at all, but all of us are asking you at least give us a couple of days to mourn and to bury our dead uh, before you come in with this, this political show. And the president said, actually said they could not delay it because he's got too many political rallies he has to do between now and November 6th. And first things first. Let's get our priorities straight. And on that front, yes, indeed, it starts six days left, and oh boy. Fasten your seatbelts, friends, because it's going to be a nonstop hate, fear, political divide uh, coming from Donald Trump, who starts today on a whirlwind tour of eight states and 11 political rallies between now and next uh, Tuesday. And you know what you're going to hear. It's going to be, uh, you're going to hear about all about the caravan. It's going to be about Im- immigrants, about anchor babies, uh, about the media, and about the evil Democratic mob. I mean, he's got his themes ready, and he's going to be pounding them. And it's all about 
even though he's not on the ballot, it's all about stirring up and revving up the Republican base and scaring the hell out of them in the hope that they will not stay home in the midterms, but come out and vote for all Republican candidates. Uh, one can only hope that uh, while that that will, there will certainly be some impact there, he certainly will motivate a lot of Republicans to get out and vote. Let's, one can only hope that he motivates even more Democrats to get out and vote for sure in the primaries. As we said yesterday, that's our theme of the whole this last week. Turnout, 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 turnout. It, there's nothing more important than that. So while Donald Trump's doing his best to get uh, to uh, gin up Republican turnout, uh, one can only hope, and we've got to do our share to make sure that the Democratic turnout far, far, far outweighs and outwaves the Republican turnout. Uh, and the other thing he's doing, obviously, he's already started, is so this is going to be a scorched earth campaign, you know, for the next uh, next six days. And he's already started by throwing anything against the wall that will stick, any idea that will talk, other than, by the way, to talk about <clears throat> uh, the market crashing uh, and the economy faltering, which Donald Trump did say yesterday also, if this is just the Dow fell 900 points, 500 points the other day. The other day, if, if, if actually closed 500 below. Yesterday or the day before, I guess it was the day before, went 900 and then bounced back. But at any rate, Donald Trump said, this is just a pause. It's a pause, he said, until people see what happens in the midterm elections. So if you want to get your money back in the market, you better go out and vote Republican. I mean, how desperate can you get? How ridiculous can you get? But at any rate, he doesn't want to talk about the economy. He doesn't want to talk about health care, for sure. Doesn't want to talk about the fact that Republicans still want to repeal Obamacare, still want to do away with protection for pre-existing conditions for millions and millions of Americans. Uh, so he'll talk about anything like, for example, think of the three crazy ideas he's, he's thrown out there in the last week. One, middle-class tax cut. We're going to have a 10, he said this, we're going to have a 10% middle-class tax cut before the midterm elections. And he first he said he was going to do it by executive order, which he can't. Then he said he was going to introduce a resolution, which he can't and which he hasn't. I mean, he cannot introduce a congressional resolution because he's work. not a member of Congress. Well, <laughs> you know, I realize that this is not breaking new ground, but... It's a little concerning that the president of the United States does not but, know how the government works. And he's taken for granted that we don't either. Yeah. Right. And his, by the way, his dumbass base, they don't. They don't. And they don't care. So then he said, well, Congress will come back and do it for me before the midterm election. It ain't going to happen. So so we got that 10% tax cut out there. That ain't going to happen. And then, so the next thing he comes up with is troops to the border. Oh, my God. The Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. We got this threat, this Military, got to be because we have the Pentagon responding. What's the Defense Department's job to protect this country from military threats from any country against the United States of America or our allies? So he's branded this crew, this gang, this group, this caravan, if you want to use that word, of families heading for the border over a 1,000 miles away uh, as a military threat and has dispatched 5,200 American troops to the border. And then yesterday he came out with the latest one, which is we're going to get rid of the policy of 
birthright, citizenship birthright, if you're born in this country, which he says he'll do by executive order, which is contained in the Constitution and the 14th Amendment, and you cannot do by executive order. But here's Donald Trump, a little um, interview in the uh, Oval Office that he gave to Axios, our friends uh, Jim Van de Hei and uh, Jonathan Swan, um, where Donald Trump says, yeah, I can do it by executive order. You can definitely do it with an act of Congress, but now they're saying I can do it just with an executive order. Now they're saying, now they're, there, 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 there. It's just cover for so many uh, different things. Uh, yeah, People I don't know saying, whether Jonathan said, who's that they? You know what? It's some half-ass attorney in the White House counsel's office who will, uh, I mean, you can, we've seen this before. George Bush got some young attorney in the White House counsel's office, probably at the point of a gun, to write a memo saying, hey, we can torture. We can break the law. We, yeah, Geneva Conventions against torture. We don't have to follow that because we're the United States of America. So, I mean, you can, you pay yeah, an you attorney. you know what, though? They did torture and they, everybody and got away with it. By the way, they got away with it, right? <laughs> so Donald Trump, sure, they, they say, they say. Uh, and then, uh, so Jonathan Carl says, no, don't you need a constitutional amendment? It was always told to or, me that you needed a constitutional amendment. Guess what? You don't. Yes, you do. Uh, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Uh, I said Jonathan Carl. I meant Jonathan Swan. Um, in fact, the Speaker uh, of the House yesterday, and you know how much Paul Ryan loves to disagree with Donald Trump. Oh, yeah. I mean, first, you'll hear him. He quickly corrects himself, comes back on Donald Trump's side. But even Paul Ryan has to say, uh, that doesn't work. Well, you obviously cannot do that. Uh, you cannot end birthright citizenship <laughs> oh, really, in Paul? executive order. We oh, really? Like it when Obama tried changing immigration laws oh, via really? executive uh-huh. action, and obviously as conservatives, um, you know, we believe in, in, in the Constitution. You know, as a conservative, I'm a believer in following the plain text of the Constitution, oh, and I think oh. in this case the 14th Amendment's pretty clear. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that would involve a very, very lengthy constitutional process. Mm-hmm. But where we obviously oh, totally here he comes. agree with here the he president has to pivot. is oh, getting yeah. at the root issue here, which is mm-hmm. um, unchecked illegal immigration. Well, we still love him, love him, love him, love yeah. him, love him. He has to add yeah. that. He has to add that because otherwise you might get a call from Donald Trump. You know what I mean? Another reality check on that came from uh, uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein from California, uh, a ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee. No, can't do it that way. The president will not be able to take away the birthright by executive order or legislation. That birthright is there. It's the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. Yes, indeed. And the senator, good senator points out that even if, even if, right, you realize how many votes you need to do this? You need a lot of votes to amend the Constitution, and they won't be there to do this, I assure you of that. They won't be there. You need a lot of votes in Congress, and then you need three-quarters of the states, right? So uh, not going to happen. Uh, it's another thing. But by the way, get ready, because those are three I- nutball ideas that Donald Trump has thrown out there. And you know what? There's going to be at least one a day between now and next Tuesday that Donald will be throwing, Donald Trump will be throwing out there Again, all aimed at motivating his base, and we've got to expose every one of them uh, for what they uh, what they what they are. 
Um, on another front, here's a, here, you won't believe how desperate. So everybody's been waiting. We haven't heard from Robert Mueller. Robert Mueller, he does not want to be accused of trying to influence in any way the midterm elections. But there have been reports that he's ready to drop a bombshell shortly after the midterms. Uh, there has been this pause, you know, in announcements of indictments coming from Mr. Mueller, the special counsel. Um, and meanwhile, the Republicans, you can see how much they fear this because it was reported yesterday that Republican operatives, remember the, the those the guy that, what was his name, Peter? Jack Berkman, right? Yeah, Jack Berkman. Jack is, Berkman is the guy was a guy, this. right. Who I think has been charged now with leaking false information that a young staffer uh, who was working for the DNC and was killed in a robbery attempt here in Washington, D.C., very tragically and sadly, that Bergman started circulating with that the guy had been killed by the DNC because he had information on Hillary's emails. Yeah. And, okay. And, and this the was the ultimate all, conspiracy theory. The ultimate conspiracy theory. Well, Bergman now has hired somebody who reportedly, allegedly, uh, not proven quite yet, but there are women, at least one woman who's come forward and said that she was contacted by this guy working for Bergman and offered money to say that Robert Mueller had sexually assaulted her. And she has come forward instead and said, hey, I was offered money to say this. Uh, and Mueller has referred this case. So and, uh, what they're doing, of course, is try to sully the reputation of Robert Mueller, drag him down, accuse him of being a sexual predator, and thereby get rid of him. This woman blew the whistle on them, and Robert Mueller has referred this case to the FBI. Uh, and we'll see where that goes. Adam Schiff, good congressman from uh, West Hollywood, California, I was on with uh, Chris Hayes on MSNBC yesterday, uh, and just shows again. This shows just what the how far the Republicans are willing to go to discredit the special counsel in order to protect Donald Trump. Well, if it's true, it's just another indication of how terrified uh, people are of what Mueller is going to report. Uh, there are obviously a lot of rumors that a report could be uh, imminent after the elections. I don't know how imminent it is, but clearly there are a lot of people in Trump world. Uh, who are terrified about what the special counsel may have found, what he's prepared to say. Uh, and this is part of this uh, very underhanded effort to besmirch his character. Uh, if they can't impeach his findings, they're going to try to impeach him. Uh, and so it looks like they were going to uh, extreme lengths to essentially uh, pay women to make false claims about him. Uh, if it's true, it's just another repre reprehensible uh, effort to attack his character. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and boy, I just hope they nail them. I hope they nail them and, and get them on this and expose it uh, for what it is. Uh, and all the all the sweeter it's going to be when Robert Mueller comes out with his report. Uh, Donald Trump's not the only one out on the campaign trail. I got to tell you, so Barack Obama's been out there. Not enough as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but Joe Biden, he's been doing his share um, more than anybody else, perhaps. Joe Biden out there. Uh, yesterday, um, uh, I don't know he was in sure. Iowa. Yesterday. In Iowa yesterday, very convenient. Again, saying we got to get out there, we got to make it happen. This country has to come together. So, folks, it's time to get up, 
Remember who we are. This is America. We can do anything. Take it back. Joe, he's great on the campaign trail, great with the crowd, right? Uh, really, really good. Gets really wired up and gets them fired up, fired up and gets them fired up as well. Uh, and Bernie Sanders, who has also been nonstop campaigning on behalf of progressive candidates uh, all around the country, all over the country, was uh, right just outside of Washington, Bethesda, Maryland, yesterday, stumping for uh, Ben Jealous, the uh, Democratic candidate for governor of Maryland, and Bernie Sanders taking a big swipe here at President Trump. They are working to make certain that the agenda of the most racist, sexist, homophobic, bigoted president in history will go nowhere because Democrats will control the House and the Senate. That kind of sums it up. I mean, I don't think he wasted many words on that one, no. <laughs> Bernie, on fire as well. Uh, by the way, just a little footnote here that uh, I mentioned uh, Robert Mueller has referred uh, the people who allegedly are paying offered women money to accuse Mueller himself of sexual assault. That's not the only case that's been referred to the Justice Department. We've talked before about Ryan Zinke, Interior Secretary, uh, with his hand in the, caught with his hand in the cookie jar for all kinds of travel with him and his wife and use of government cars. Uh, the inspector general of the Interior Department has accused him of abuse of his office, particularly uh, in terms of um, using public funds for his own personal enjoyment and travel. Uh, now, that case has been referred to the Justice Department as well, by the Inspector General. So Congress, Democrats in Congress have nothing to do with this. DNC, this is not a Democrat. This is the Inspector General of the Interior Department who has referred a case against the Secretary of the Interior to the Department of Justice. It's amazing. Right. It's so like we, stupid. As we said before, what a bunch of grifters, the whole gang of them. Um we're going to talk uh, next with uh, Daryl Lind about the whole caravan situation. Daryl Lind from from Vox. But in the meantime, Peter, uh, I, I got I got to get this in. Okay, so this is my favorite story of the day. Okay, okay. you know I also often see these off the wall stories that just intrigue me. Oh yeah. Okay. All right. So I want. Oh. Boy. What would you guess? Okay. What would you guess? How many fleas would you guess? Would you find? On a moose calf. How many fleas on a moose calf? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to say 500. Boy, you are so far off. Am I really? Yes. Okay. How many? Well, so the New York Times reports that there's this problem with fleas on because they suck the blood. Sure, yeah. And too many will suck out too much blood and the calves die. Yeah, okay. Okay. All right. So this guy, these scientists, they got some nets and they tracked down in up in Maine, of course, too bad Jamie's not here, up in Maine, 179 moose calves. The average number of ticks he found. Ticks or fleas? Uh, fleas, I'm sorry. Ticks, no, no, ticks, ticks, ticks. ticks. Okay, so sorry. we're talking about ticks. We're, we're talking, talking about ticks, ticks. I said fleas. Okay, all right, all right, ticks. All right. okay, ticks, thank you. The average number of ticks, okay? Uh-huh. 47,000. No. 371. No. No. 
47,371. Per, like, that's Ticks. the average? Or average on How each How big calf. is a moose calf? <laughs> I can't imagine there's that much surface space. The most they found was over 100,000. I'm going to vomit. And that calf, calf was already dead. Probably because. Yeah, because yeah, you got 100,000 ticks, ticks on him. Didn't have any blood left. Ugh. Average, 47,371. I don't Isn't like that this amazing? story. But here's like what's story. really amazing to me. Yeah. Think about that job. <laughs> you know what they say, Bill. Love what you do, and you'll never work a day in your life. <laughs> if your job, if your job, were to count ticks on a cat on 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 moose, yeah. That's... Imagine that high school reunion. And what do you do? Well, I don't want to brag, but uh, I once counted a hundred thousand ticks on a dead moose cat. When you fill out your job application and it says <laughs> your job, what is your what is your profession? What do you put down? Tick counter. Tick counter. <laughs> gross. Ah, oh, God, that's that gross. just struck when I saw that number. It just really, really hit me. I just I thought, don't like that story. Okay, you l- heard it here, folks, on the Bill Press Show. News you can use. News you can use. <laughs> Most news you can use. <laughs> Remember that number, forty-seven thousand three hundred seventy-one. So if you find a tick on you, by the way, that's serious. I've had several yeah, you don't want to mess like, around with that man. You've gotten Lyme disease from ticks. If you find one tick on you, consider yourself lucky. You could be a moose calf. Uh, yes, caravan, immigration, what is the threat? And what, what about these anchor babies? Daryl Lind is our expert on immigration from Vox, Vox.com. She joins us next quick break. We'll be right back. Ticks and all. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast. Search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes and catch the highlights from every show. And here we are on this Halloween, Wednesday, October 31. It is the uh, Bill Press Show, and we're live from our nation's capital here in Washington, D.C., brought to you today by the United Steelworkers and their international president, the one and only Leo Girard, heading up the United Steelworkers, North America's largest industrial union, representing over 1.2 million active and retired members. Their website's usw.org. Check it out. Thank them for their good work and their support of the uh, program. Uh, and we have, um, so Darren Lind from Vox, as I mentioned, uh, joining us next to talk about some various immigration issues. Dara, it's good to see you. Thanks for coming in. Thanks as always. And thanks for not showing up in uh, costume this morning. We uh, are trying to avoid Halloween this morning. But <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> if I'd known that, I would have trolled you and just shown up in a mask or something. <laughs> you know what? I was walking in. There's a Orange Theory workout yeah. Yeah. session, whatever, a place right across the street. And I was walking by, and I looked in because I was looking to see these guys. Makes me feel better, and I see them, you know, on the treadmill and on the rowing machines sure. and – and uh, it's so, like exercise by osmosis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it makes me feel better. I can see they're doing that. It makes me feel healthier. I don't think that's how it works. I don't right. think it's how it works at all. <laughs> Does for me. Yeah, Bill can tell uh, me. I went to the gym this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I walked by it. Yeah, right. But my point was so anyhow, and I looked in, and there was this pirate in the oh, middle of it. Oh, yeah. I, and I, I, I thought, oh my god, <laughs> like you know, this guy was. This is this is really serious. Right, this pirate. Then I wrote, oh, duh, yeah. Halloween. So, yeah, I th- 
I think Don't if I went to the to gym and my those. trainer showed up in a pirate outfit, I would be a little yeah. uncomfortable no, at any rate. So um, good to see you, Tara. We've been, uh, we've been busy here yeah, apparently. Uh, for the last half hour or so. <laughs> yes, all kinds of important stories. Yeah, hey, we got some so, comments on Twitter. Comments. Yes. Oh at, God, BP show, at, at BP Show. At uh, BP Show. We didn't get any comments about the moose stick story. No. All right. Uh, but, but Gene Fair said- uh, look at what's happening down at the border. We need to just have Oprah down there. You get a troop. You get a troop. You get a troop. You get a troop. Yeah. Uh, Bobby says Trump or a will. Tank. You get a tank. You sure. Get a tank. Uh, Bobby says Trump is going to try and do this executive order. He will get challenged and he will probably end up. It will end up at the stacked Supreme Court. Uh, That's so. the scary part. Yeah, Don't. although, I mean, it's been really interesting uh, in the kind of last 24 hours to see even a lot of conservative legal scholars, a lot of Republicans who are kind of tied into legal circles, not just saying he will lose, but saying he will lose 9 nothing. Like, this does not appear the I mean, maybe this will change over the coming weeks or months or whatever. But in the immediate reaction, there are some things that Donald Trump saying them obligates a lot of conservatives to defend, even if they wouldn't have defended them previously. Mm -hmm. This doesn't appear to be one of them. There really does appear yeah. to be a very strong sense that the constitutional arguments are very steep uphill battle. OK, good. We'll talk more about sorry, that. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Right. No, it's good. One other quick comment. You talked about all of the rallies that we're going to see over the next oh. AG wonders if the corporate news media are required to cover these rallies. Uh, it seems like it sometimes, although more and more they're just not carrying them. More, They're getting less and less uh, attention, right? They're buried inside the newspapers to people who still take a look at newspapers. Uh, the, the cable networks are not carrying them live anymore, except, and not even Fox is carrying them, um, you know, opening bell to closing bell. Uh, anymore, so uh, I think there's a little bit of uh, Trump rally fatigue uh, that is going on. Uh, but we thank you for all those uh, comments and uh, keep them coming on Twitter at uh, BP Show. Um, so let's let's start with the the the, the president keeps throwing these ideas yep. uh, out there, uh, as we mentioned, Dara, um, and you and I last time we talked about um, the caravan, yep. but we didn't realize how serious it was. It is such a threat to the United States of America uh, that we are sending 5,200 troops to the border. Right. Right. Uh, which which will, which will is definitely going to be and more troops and may be substantially more troops than there are actually members of the caravan that will eventually r arrive at the U.S. border in something like six weeks at the current rate they're going. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I don't know how many are left, but I, I have read stories. A lot of them have turned. I've heard about 3,000 to 4,000. Uh, right. There are further some caravans have back, that are coming are staying up. In Oh yeah, but yeah, but exactly the same thing could be happening to them. There, you know, the Mexican government is really working hard to keep as many of them from coming into Mexico as possible, and if they do, you know, keeping them there rather than getting them into the U.S. So there's a lot of attrition going on. the The argument there is a good faith argument for the four thousand or five thousand two hundred troops. Um, maybe not quite that many, but the it's true that the rise of traveling in large groups rather than kind of traveling in, in smaller groups or individually, which, as yeah. we discussed, you know, a few weeks ago, there are good reasons for that for, from the migrants perspective. But government officials are concerned that that presents safety problems uh, because 
there, it's possible to overwhelm a small detachment of border agents. You know, we've actually seen some fairly violent clashes happening in at the Mexico-Guatemala border. A uh, Honduran migrant was killed with a rubber bullet to the head on Monday. Uh, it's, you know, there are kind of crowd control issues there. And there are also logistical problems of just processing that many people at once. So the logic is that you send troops to fill the logistical engineering kind of functions, the support functions that border agents would otherwise have to do so that you can have more agents on the front line. Well, well that was the argument for sending the National Guard. And right. there's still 2,100 National yeah, Guard there. Why on top of the National Guard do we need 5,200 American troops? That's not a... We do not. It's it, it, it's not a super strong argument. The other thing that's interesting here... But also, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm going to back up. Yeah. I don't give them one inch of defense on, de- defense on this because the job of the military is to protect this country against armed threats by any other nation against the United States of America or our people anywhere in the world or our allies. Yeah, there's, This caravan there does, does not to be qualify a, th- as a military threat. Yeah, there, there's almost certainly a certain amount of retconning going on here where what has happened is the president has decided that this is the right way to go about things and the people who are actually responsible for implementing it are trying to do it in the you know, trying to kind of use those resources in the best way possible. It's, you know, the idea that you're sending the military to the border certainly implies that you're, you know, kind of invade, that you're protecting against an invading force. And even the Race kind of spokesperson, I know, and, and even and while <laughs> otherwise in other cases, other members of the administration will kind of just contradict what the president says and not see any need to kind of defend it. In this case, the spokesperson for the State Department refused to say whether she felt they were an invading force or not. And it's, you know, there's the good faith policy argument. And then there's the, well, we know that the Trump administration has chosen to make this their closing argument for the midterms. They're obviously sending troops way before the caravan gets there, but the midterms are going to be happening before the caravan gets there. So this is, you know, their attempt to make it seem like having turned this into a crisis level national issue, they're now making it seem like they have a response to this thing that they've this created. This is, I saw the veterans groups this morning have have veterans groups, right, have condemned this as a, they're calling it a border stunt. Yeah, I mean. That's really I, what it is. I mean, I mean, it is a political stunt that sadly, in my view, the Defense Department and the de- Defense Secretary have gone along with. The interesting thing here is that a lot of, a lot of the things the Trump administration does on immigration, the argument is, is this, uh, is this political theater or is this something that is going to have extremely deleterious consequences? Like, there, a political stunt is better than actively militarizing U.S. territory, you know, like U.S. land, than trying to, you know, have live ammunition against, to just use against migrants. We do know that the units that are usually armed will be carrying weapons into the field at the border. And, like, that does raise some questions about whether there's some tail risk for if people do kind of try to present in the thousands for some crowd control to go wrong. Um, That's, you know, that's a tail risk. It is not a substantial likelihood. But political theater is, you know, an assumption that they're not going to do anything, which is maybe better than assuming that they're they're going to do something from that perspective. Well, if you put 5,000, 5,200 I mean, I, I've pointed this out before. 
Um, this is more people than we have in Syria and Iraq combined. Right. This is more people than we have fighting ISIS, American troops fighting ISIS on the ground that are going to be on our southern border, all of them armed. I mean, Not the, the the units that are usually armed are going to be armed, but I don't believe right. that, that refers to every All right, maybe person. the chefs aren't armed, <laughs> but uh, I, they're trained. Chefs in, knives. They're trained in the use of arms, right? Sure, but a lot of people are trained in the use of arms. I mean, I think the other thing to point out here is that the military has... I I don't want to give these people one inch at all. I mean, you put 5,200 armed people, or if it's 5,000 or 4,500 armed people at the border, the chances of some immigrant, some innocent immigrant getting shot and killed by a United States soldier are multiplied immensely. They so, don't belong at the border. I mean, this I think is the not other their thing job. Here is this is not a military threat. I think that there it should not be met by the military. Sorry, I, I, <laughs> I just look. No way, no how am I going to give Donald Trump one inch on this? It is wrong, and and Mattis is wrong. But I do think that I think a lot of people assume that because the military's job is to shoot people, quote unquote, that if you send people, that's going to make it inevitable that something bad happens. You know, something that came up a lot during the military's the kind job of, is the, not to during defend Ferguson the in 2014 is a lot of you know military veterans were watching the way that law enforcement engaged with civilians and going, wow. Those are really bad rules of engagement. In the military, we learn much stricter rules of engagement that because you have a weapon, you're supposed to be responsible with it and not just kind what? of wave it around. So it's, you know, it's it's worth thinking about the way that the people who are being sent down there are taught to think about threats. And like, honestly, a lot of them individually probably realize that they're not going down there to deal with some kind of threat that requires armed you, you, you are you are <laughs> avoiding the topic. Donald I'm not avoiding Trump, the topic. I'm Donald. I don't. I don't, I don't disagree I, with listen, you. I, I just think I'm that this is a normative the, I'm disagreement. I'm not blaming these individual soldiers. I'm saying the president of the United States is using the the U.S. military as political props. It's wrong. It's outrageous. It should not be allowed. He's going to get away with it because he's the president of the United States and because he's got a defense secretary who is a giant coward. And I thought was an independent thinker. A giant coward. This I think is at a this political point, stunt. It's really hard to say that anyone still in the Trump administration is like. But there's no, I, you know, no one's really said. No one said but, that there's a public red line, right? Like at, at this point, if you're Mattis and you're still there, you're tacitly consenting to what you're doing. Uh, sadly, we, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, as someone whom I've always felt was there, uh, reporting the truth about uh, immigrants and who they are and why they might want to come to the United States uh, and what the threat really is. No, I think that, that there's... I'm stunned no, that it's in not, any it, way you would defend Donald Trump seeing this, these families I'm not defending it. I'm talking... A, as I, a threat w worthy enough of sending the United States military. I think that there's a big difference between defending something and explaining that in a lot of things, there's a difference between what Donald Trump... like. A, a, a lot of times Donald Trump says things and the people in the government actually doing things are rushing to uh, to kind of fi figure out what that means in practice. And in this particular case, what it means, you know, explaining what it means in practice means kind of undermining the idea that this is a threat that requires a military response. I think that there is, you know, what you're talking about is a fundamental like normative disagreement that, yes, requires a threat assessment that isn't really there. But I think that there are 
the kind of attempts to turn this, the people who are supposed to be doing this on the ground understand it in a fundamentally different way than Trump does. They don't see it as we are defending our border against an invasion. Uh, well, the, meanwhile, they're being used. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're being used and Donald Trump is using them. That's one. Two, um, which, we, which you and I fundamentally disagree on. Two is that now he's saying, well, the other thing we're going to do is another idea. is We're going to get rid of these anchor babies. Right. And right. I'm going to do it by executive order. Right. Right. Uh, Paul Ryan threw a little bit of cold water on it. Paul Ryan. The Republican, even the liberal speaker, Paul Ryan, the liberal Paul Ryan, a little cold water on that yesterday. Right, well, which is well because cannot, well, you obviously cannot do that. Uh, you cannot end birthright citizenship with an executive order. We didn't like it when Obama tried changing immigration laws via executive action, and obviously, as conservatives, um, you know, we believe in, in in the Constitution. You know, as a conservative, I'm that's, a believer in yeah, following the plain text of the Constitution. Paul Ryan. But anyway, of course, he's referring to Obama uh, protecting the Dreamers. Uh, right. And move, the fun but. thing about Paul Ryan speaking out about this is that if Trump were to issue this executive order, Congress wouldn't really like it's not clear what role Congress would have in stopping it. Trump issuing the executive order would inevitably get challenged and it would inevitably go to the Supreme Court, as we were saying. Well, and Congress would not really be able to like Congress can't say the Constitution well, should be interpreted in this way. That's the Supreme Court's job. So Ryan is, you know, standing up to the president on an issue where he could not be asked to do anything. All right, but you and I can uh, read the Constitution. So let's just get back to the facts. Donald Trump says, I can amend the Constitution by signing an executive order. True or false? It's a pretty fringy. It, Trump's relying on a. Wait, whoa, it's whoa, not, whoa, he's whoa, not. Whoa. He's no. not saying he'll amend the Constitution. Well, like, okay. He's, it's, he's relying on a super fringy interpretation right. of what the Constitution says. Okay, right, let me. He he can say he can violate the wording of the Constitution by executive order. True or false? I don't. I think that we have well, seen for no, no, no. Can he? Seen. Can he? Can he? Uh, 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 just just absolutely violate the Constitution, go against the Constitution by executive order. Does he have that power? True or false? It's, it, the question is whether it's a violation of the Constitution. And it's like everybody else in the world is saying it is and he's saying it isn't. What are you saying? So I... You've uh, read the Constitution. I think that, yeah, I think that the, the, the actual fact of constitutional interpretation is that the Constitution says whatever the Supreme Court says it says, right? So like... No. It's... It, <laughs> no. I think legal legal realism is for real, man. Um, it's the, not. It, there's the, there really is a a, like the, que- I the, think the, the, the Constitution the question here says is not, you have to be 35 years old to be president of the United States. You can't make it up and say I'm 23, and the Supreme Court can say, oh, when they said 35. That was back then. Now you can be 18. But that same thing, like there's a big question about whether John, there was a big question in 2008 about John McCain being born in the Panama Canal Zone. Or Ted Cruz, right. Like there definitely are lacunae. And this is one of those things that most people say it's not a lacuna. Most people think not not necessarily the 14th Amendment itself, but but the 1898 uh, Supreme Court case Wong Kim Ark kind of settled this once and for all, right? And when the 14th Amendment says... Those who are uh, the exact wording in front of me, but those who, I can find it here. But those who are born in the United States are are U.S. citizens. That's pretty clear. It's, so in the 19th century, it was understood that it that that hadn't been entirely closed. They actually were going to pass a bill 
after the 14th Amendment was passed uh, or or, you know, kind of around the same time that the 14th Amendment was passed to make it clear that everyone was a, a citizen by birth. President Johnson did not want to sign it because it would give automatic citizenship to, quote unquote, Chinese and gypsies. So, like, it's definitely it's I think it's fair to say that this is something that the Supreme Court has clarified the what Donald Trump, the fringy interpretation that Donald Trump is relying on is that the Supreme Court hasn't actually clarified it, that the 1898 case, Wong Kim Ark, somehow in saying that every child of a non-citizen who's born on U.S. soil is a is a citizen, wasn't applying to unauthorized immigrants. Uh, that is not an interpretation that most people agree with. It's something that, you know, but this is this is the way I think it's appropriate to understand the executive order. The executive order would be a dare to the Supreme Court to stop him, right? Like, it's not that it would just be, it's not that it would be immediately understood as dead letter because everyone would look at it and say, oh, this is obviously a violation of the Constitution. It's that it would be put into effect until somebody sued to stop it. And then that challenge would go up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court would have to decide, do we carve out unauthorized immigrants from this established tradition of jurisprudence or Donald not? Donald Trump also said yesterday, quote, we're the only country in a, in the world where a person comes in and has a baby and the baby is essentially a citizen of the United States. Yes. Right. And that is obviously a lie. True and or false? It, that's totally a lie. That's like every it's it's mostly a Western Hemisphere versus Europe breakdown. There is a strong Western Hemisphere tradition of birthright citizenship um, that, you know, when Donald Trump. So Donald Trump is essentially saying we should be more like Europe, which is kind of ironic. But, you know, I, I think that the reason that it's really important to understand this is a lot of people laughed off. There were kind of two reactions to Trump's comments yesterday. There was the, oh, my God, this is going to happen imminently, which it isn't. There, no one had heard anything about this uh, outside the White House counsel's office. You know, it's not exactly like they've drafted an executive order and it's yeah, on but his this desk. Is an but idea. the other reaction. This is an idea that the extremist Republicans, conservatives, have had for a long time. This is a Steve Bannon specialty, right? Yeah, no, and it's something that actually congressional Republicans have been kind of coming up with for years, that they could, quote-unquote, clarify. Lindsey Graham's been for this for a long time, absolutely. we didn't know Donald Trump was going to spring it, but it's been out there on the fringes for a long time. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. Oh, yeah, I'm not saying that it's a new idea. I just, I think it's important to realize that there's not, like, an executive order on his desk to sign. But the other reaction was, oh, this is dumb. This is just dumb talk from Trump. Of course he can't do this because, of course, it's unconstitutional. And, like, the answer to that is that it's not going to be determined. Like, the Supreme Court is going to have to determine it unconstitutional actively. It's not going to just kind of be passively unconstitutional. This is going to, if it happens, it's going to go to the court, and the Supreme Court does, in fact, have the power to say, actually, we think he's right. But for Donald Trump, again, keep coming back to this, to assert, as he has in this interview, to assert that he can do it by executive order, fact, is wrong. I mean, if he issues the executive order, that's what the policy is going to be. And I think that that's the important, like, he, whether, like, his his ju- reading of the jurisprudence is bad. His assertion of what would happen if he chose to sign that executive order is correct. Like, this is the problem with Trump is that he does have a tremendous amount of power and just doesn't have an understanding of the world to match it. My prediction is he won't do either one. Yeah, I don't. I I think it that this is something be, that's going to be a second. This term is going thing to be uh, Ebola revisited. Uh, all 
in the Obama days. All the, uh, in fact, Donald Trump was leading the charge then, saying we have to shut down the borders. We have to close the borders of the United States because of this Ebola threat. Yeah. Just before the midterm elections, uh, what was there, one case, one guy, I think, that got into this country that, with the Ebola, I believe, that came from Africa, at any rate, down to Georgia. Uh, and as soon as the uh, midterms were over, the entire Ebola threat and all the talk about Ebola and everything sort of um, suddenly vanished. This is as actually I what worries well, me as, a, as an immigration reporter looking at this caravan. Real quick, we'll be at about 10 yeah, seconds. Yeah, just that there was a border crackdown that no one paid attention to this spring, and the same thing could happen now. And because the caravan is over, no one will notice. Right, yeah. And then the next caravan will come. And then we'll have another crisis. And we'll send more troops to the border. Uh, Dara, thanks so much for coming Thank in. You. Always lively. When we come back, women running for office, they are making the difference this year. You bet we'll find out more about it. Stay tuned. We'll this be right back. is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends. Don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show, and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. They ask him not to come. Then they ask him to delay for a few days. Donald Trump says, I don't care. I'm coming whether you want me or not. Shows how much respect he has for the victims and the families of the massacre at the synagogue in Pittsburgh on last Saturday. Zero respect. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It is the Bill Press Show. Here we go on a Wednesday. Happy Halloween. Wednesday, October 31. Coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and our studio right here on Capitol Hill. Reaching out to you coast to coast, all the way from San Francisco to Fenwick Island, Delaware. Uh, that sort of does it up, sums it up, doesn't it? Uh, and uh, north, south, east, west, we're there with you on the radio, on television, and online with all the news of the day. And look forward to hearing from you about what you think about the news of the day. So send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. The big stories, of course, Donald Trump uh, setting off after that disastrous visit to Pittsburgh yesterday. Uh, setting off on an eight-state, 11-political rally last-minute swing to stir up the Republican base. It's going to be, you know, a scorched-earth campaign on his on his part, um, making all kinds of charges against the media and immigrants and Democrats and any other scapegoat that he can scare up. Uh, but um, we're there, and we're going to meet him, um, you know, blow for blow. Uh, all the way. Uh, joining us in studio, um, Ashanti Golar is the 
political director for a great group called Emerge America, very involved in the midterm elections. Ashanti, it's nice to see you. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming in. You are very much a leader of the uh, effort to get more women to run for office this year, which we're very excited about, already making a big difference. Uh, we want to hear more about it, and we will, and with all of you, too. But first, Peter always has this big is the Full the Court here. Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. You know, it was just a couple of weeks ago that rapper Kanye West was here in Washington, D.C. Oh, yes. In the White House with mm-hmm. Donald Trump. Well, a bizarre appearance. It for was sure. very bizarre. Yes, it was. It was definitely that. Well, Kanye West has said that he is going to distance himself from <laughs> politics. He says that he is quote being used <laughs> to spread messages that I do not believe in. Oh, he specifically, oh, really? Yeah, who could oh, have seen this coming? Yeah. He specifically mentioned Candace Owens, who is uh, one of the conservative commentators who. Uh, runs um, uh, Turning Points or helps run Turning Points USA, which gets young people involved in uh, young Republicans, I should say, get involved with politics. Uh, he says yesterday in a tweet, quote, my eyes are now wide open and I realize I've been used to spread messages I do not believe in. I am distancing myself from politics and completely focusing on being creative. Uh, so dumbass. Why didn't you think he was invited to the Oval Office? Yeah, you know. Yeah, you know. It's it's. How old is he? Twelve. <laughs> you know, it was interesting because that last week there was a lot of talk that he was going to be designing clothing for something called uh, the Blexit. The Blexit, <laughs> which is where uh, African Americans, Black people, were going to leave the Democratic Party. To join the Republican oh, yeah, Party, yeah, and Kanye's yeah. name was very much associated with it, and he now feels that he was sort of duped by all of that. So, will we see Kanye stop talking about the uh, the the great work that Donald Trump is doing? It, it appears so. It appears so. Uh, I, I still wouldn't hold my breath on that, but anyway. Yeah, exactly. Who, who knows what could happen next? By the way, yesterday a big big story. Uh, FedEx announced that they were going to drop their affiliation with the NRA. They had a program that offered discounts for business members of the National Rifle Association, and they said yesterday, we're done. No more. We don't, we're not going to do this anymore, which it's a shame that they were doing this even to begin with. I know. But Why would they, you give a discount to members of the NRA? Dropping it all together. Dropping it all together. Well, good for FedEx, but uh, about time. By the way, I wonder how many other businesses give that discount. Let's find out. This is the Bill Press Show. And here we go on a Wednesday, October 31, everybody. Happy Halloween. And remember, six days to go. We don't need your thoughts and prayers. We need your turnout. We need your voter turnout. Turnout is the key to making America America again and bringing things back to at least some semblance of normality by taking back the House and hopefully the Senate as well, as well as a lot of governorships and state legislative races. It's the um, final stretch here now with six day, less than a week to go before the midterms. Lots and lots to uh, talk about and lots of action to do between now and then. Good to see you. Thank you for joining us as we come to you live coast to coast from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., 
where we join you online, of course, on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, looking at you on television, on Free Speech TV, and on the great WCPT, the big progressive voice of Chicago. We are there with you loud and strong every day, and it's nice to have you with us as well. We wanted to particularly look about look at the role of women in uh, on the Democratic uh, side of the political ledger in these midterms, uh, a very huge, significant factor uh, through many several organizations. One of which, Emerge America, political director of Emerge America, Ashanti Golar, here joining us in studio. Ashanti, it's nice to see you. Nice to see you. Good so you're morning. based here in Washington, right? I am. And the headquarters in San Francisco. Yes. Right. When did Emerge America get started? So Emerge America actually started mm-hmm. in... If you get a little closer there, oh, thank there you. There we go. Yeah. We actually started in 2002 with Emerge California. Andrea Ducille is our president and founder, <laughs> and she had this idea. She was living in San Francisco, a progressive city, but it still didn't have a lot of progressive women, Democratic women elected to office. And she knew that things could change, they could be better. And around her, she saw so many good women who should be running for office, but all they needed was training and resources. So she started Emerge California. Emerge California. And then. And now you have, I'm blanking on her name, but you have a very progressive. African-American woman governor, a mayor of San Francisco. We do. London Breed, an Emerge uh, alum. Thank you. Right. Is yeah. she an Emerge She's alum? She's an Emerge alum. That is one of the important things that we do at Emerge. It's not only about getting more women in elected office, because there are 520,000 elected offices in this country. What, there, what, how many? 520,000 elected offices in this country. 520,000? Yes. Whoa. And several of those have never seen a woman elected. I'm sure. But also not a woman of color elected. Yeah. So that's what we're doing at Emerge. When we're talking about changing the face of politics, it's making sure that we have women from all walks of life, diverse backgrounds, ethnicity, race, socioeconomic, making sure that there really is true representation and a reflective democracy. So um, you are looking, obviously, if, if there are 520,000, uh, not just um, at U.S. Senate or United States Congress. We look at everything. But the thing is, when you look at Senate, Congress, where did those people start? At the state level. They were city councilors, county commissioners. Most they were them. in the state right. house, yeah. the majority yeah. of them. Mm-hmm. So for us, it's really building the bench. But we also like to focus on the local level because that's where the decisions that impact people's everyday lives are truly made. Everything from your power to your streets to your kids' education. So making sure that we have great women in those positions as well who can elevate to state executive offices and then the federal level. Right. So um, city council, important. School board, important, right? Mm-hmm. Board of Supervisors, often neglected. In San Francisco, the board is the city council and the board of supervisors, city, county. Yes. It's unusual. Um, so it has a little more importance there. But in many places, counties are ignored, and yet they have tremendous power. So you know, much power. regional boards. Mm-hmm. And then you step up, of course, to state legislature, assembly, mm-hmm. senate, statewide office, congress, senate, all the way up to yep. president of the United States That's someday. Great. Yeah, right. Yep. Um, why, and you support Democratic women. We do. Okay. Okay. Um, I understand that. 
<laughs> being a lifelong Democrat, uh, you support progressive women? Progressive. Or progressive or moderate or conservative Democrats as well? or Democratic women, if they are registered Democrat, they are welcome into our training program. We are in 25 states. A lot of those states are southern states. And we know that being a Democrat in San Francisco is very different than being a Democrat in Louisiana, Kentucky, Tennessee, South mm-hmm. Carolina. But what we have found is when we get all of these women into the training program, they form a sisterhood because it's really about getting the tools that they need to run for office. But when they run, they have a network of support of other like-minded women who want to see them succeed and win. So it doesn't become about, well, I'm more progressive than her. She's more conservative about me. It's the fact that all of us want to see our communities do better. And here's a woman who wants to do that. So how do we help her along the way? Why just women and no men? Women, we're 51% of the population, but we are not 51% of those 520,000 elected positions. It is still about 70% men. So I mentioned a reflected democracy. And if we want that, we have to have more women at the table. But women also govern differently than men. We love our men, but, you know, we're more consensus-driven. We're collaborative. We will reach across the aisle to get things done. In Congress, women sponsor more bills. They co-sponsor more bills. They bring home more money to their district. And one of the things that I really love to do is look at the legislation that Emerge alums introduce, and it really encompasses the entire community. It's equal pay, health care, paid family leave, veterans, homeless people, transportation, education. They really take into consideration everyone in the community and how they can impact them. It's really about serving, and they want to do their best job serving the community. Do you believe that women govern better than men or do a better job than men? We're pretty good at it. I think. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, you won't get any disagreement from me on that, just for the yeah. record. I, I, I assert that all the time, you know, no. that, that we men have screwed it up long enough, you know. Time we got out of the way, and you know, I think we're we're pretty good at it. And there was actually a study that came out a while ago that showed in cities where you have more women elected officials, the infant mortality rate is lower. So that also is a really great correlation to another impact of having more women in elected office. How all of those issues that I talked about actually have a positive impact on the community. Now, while you say men are still 70% of those 520,000 seats, mm-hmm. seven, that's amazingly high to me. I'm surpri- surprised it's still that high. But that um, that's lower than it used to be, right? I mean, women have, there are more and more women holding political office today than ever before. This is true. Because the fact is, when women run for office, they do win at the same rates as men, We still don't have that many women running for elected office. And this is something that I talk about because post-2016, we have seen the surge, as a lot of people call it. A lot of people are calling it a wave. I personally disagree with that. I don't see this as a wave. This is a movement. I think this is something we're absolutely going to continue to see with more more women stepping up to run for office. But we still need more women running if we are going to close this gap and get parity. That's what I tell everyone. Merge is just going for parity here Mm -hmm. just to have that equal representation. So we do need more women considering running for school board, city council, water board, sheriff, 
prosecutors, mm. judges. I <laughs> right. mean, we can have an entire conversation about the need to get more women in, in these law enforcement positions because that's an area right. where we're really lacking. So we do need more women stepping up. What uh, impact did or uh, influence or whatever did the Women's March on Washington have? Yes, the Women's March. Uh, and <laughs> I say Women's March on Washington because uh, uh, that's the one I participated mm-hmm. in. But there were marches, sister marches all over the country. All over the country, all across the world. Yes. Women standing in solidarity with us. And for a lot of women, I think it was an awakening. And I just say a lot of women because for many women, they knew before that sure. that they had to be politically involved. But there were so many women who felt, well, I'm registered to vote and I vote. I'm doing my civic duty. After that, they realized, wait, I I did my duty and we got this outcome. What's happening? Mm -hmm. And they said, I need to do more. So that was running for office. That was volunteering more on campaigns. You see lots of organizations pop up post-2016, which are started by women, you know, such as Sister District, Indivisible, The Arena. A lot of these organizations are women-led. And it's about making sure that we get everyone involved fully in the political system. What I say at Emerge is, yes, it's absolutely important for us to have great women running for office, but there's an entire ecosystem. These women need great campaign staff, and great campaign staff needs activists and volunteers. So let's make sure that we are fulfilling this fully so that we're able to get women elected in this country. So if you are a woman who has been thinking about running, maybe uh, and not quite sure, um, need to know a little bit more about what it is, check out emergeamerica.org. Uh, or if you're looking for some of the outstanding women candidates either in your local district or around the country that you should give your support to in these final six days, I'm sure if you go to emergeamerica.org, you'll see a lot of those profiles as well. So let's say um, somebody signs up, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm thinking I might want to jump in, I might want to run. What do you offer them? We offer them a 70-hour training program. When I say that, so many people go, wow, that's a long time. Yes, it is, but the fact is running for office is hard. If it was easy, everyone would do it, and we want to make sure that the women are truly prepared. So we have these training sessions in different parts of the country, We are guess, in 25 right? states, half the country. And you bring women together. We bring them together. The 70 hours, it's normally one weekend a month or two weekends a month for six to seven months, up to 25 women in the program. They learn what is a campaign plan? How do I write the campaign plan? How do I hire the staff to help run this campaign? I have to raise money. What are some tools and resources so that I can learn to do that? Mm-hmm. Communications. You mean I have to get up and speak to people and ask them for money? Yes, if you want to run for office right. and win, yeah. you absolutely do. So we do that entire communications part. How to get endorsements from all of these organizations. So many people don't understand how that process works. So we bring in groups from the community that support Democratic women, and they're able to talk about their endorsement process. So when it comes time, the women actually have a leg up because, oh, so-and-so was actually in my Emerge class, and I know how to actually navigate their process. So we go through everything from even how to do your field plan. What is canvassing? How do I knock a door? How do I set up a phone bank? 
we teach the women all of that. So when they leave the program, they're ready to run, and they're very confident about what it takes to run for office. And when they're out there running, they're more confident about it. Right. Uh, so this is, ba- this is campaign 101, real, is really. Very in-depth. Right. And um, do they – is there a, a sub-level of that? I mean, because campaigns – uh, need a lot of volunteers. They need mm-hmm. people who do that work. I mean, can do you also direct? There may yeah. be some women and men who um, really want to get involved, but not mm-hmm. necessarily run for office for whatever reason. Right. 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 Uh, but they're you know they're willing to get out there and do whatever work the campaign needs, whether it's driving mm-hmm. people to the polls or making mm-hmm. phone calls or you know yep. putting up campaign signs or whatever. And that's one of the areas that we're expanding into as well. Several of our affiliates have done campaign staff training, and we actually piloted an activist training in Alabama because there's a record-breaking number of women who are running in Alabama, a lot of them black women, which we love. But let's just think about Alabama in general. This is a state, let's be honest, has been neglected by the Democrats, yeah. the Democratic yeah. Party. Right. And for Emerge, when I came until on Until Doug at, Jones. <laughs> right, until Doug Jones. But guess what? Doug Jones is running. Wait, what? Wah. How How do we do all of this? What do you mean? How do I volunteer? There wasn't that infrastructure in place. And at Emerge, we knew the demographics in the South were changing. And we wanted to be on the ground and prepared to have these women ready to run when that time came. And that time came. So for us, it's making sure that they do have that additional infrastructure that they need with campaign staff and volunteers. So we're we're filling that need as well. And for us, too, it's making sure that we provide that additional support and ongoing network to our alums. We're not just saying, okay, great, you did our training program, go mm-hmm. run for office. Yeah, right. They're still able to come back to us for advice from their state executive director, their state board. Several of our alums call me for political advice. And a lot of organizations don't give you that support. And mm-hmm. that's one of the things I love about what we do. So you've mentioned um, Emerge alums. who, uh, And we, t- we talked about the mayor of San Francisco as mm-hmm. certainly one of your most successful and most prominent. Who are some of the other Emerge alums yeah. that you're proud of? Oh, there's so many. I mean, that could just be a show in itself talking about them. But if we want to stick with San Francisco, we love London Breed. And London was replaced on the Board of Supervisors by Malia Cohen, who is also an Emerge alum. Hmm. And I love that story because we say we're building the new girls network at Emerge. Mm -hmm. So to see now two Emerge alums, but also two black women leading San Francisco, for us, that is huge. We have women such as Sarah Gideon. She is the Speaker of the House in Maine. Maine hmm. is a state where we have several alums in the State House, and that's a way that we start to make transformations in government as well. Cycle after cycle, we see more emerge alums getting elected to State Houses. So yeah. we've seen that in Maine, in Oregon, Nevada, New Mexico, in Virginia, we saw that in 2017, we now have Delicate Danica Rome, who is the first open transgender state legislator in right. the country. She's one of our alums. Is she? Yeah, she is. I've met and her. Right. we're so proud of her. And she went into a class with Emerge, you know, to run for office. And then she got to go to the state house with several women who are also in that class, bringing diversity too, with Elizabeth Guzman and Hayalala, who are the first Latinas in the House of Delegates in Virginia. So it's also about not only bringing women, but that diversity as well. Yeah. 
Do you have any members, uh, any Emerge alums in Congress yet? We are going to have our first members of Congress this year, <laughs> and we are so excited. Uh, one of them is going to be Deb Holland from New Mexico One. Oh, and yeah. She right. is set to be one of the first indigenous women in Congress mm-hmm. with Sharice Davis. I'm, I'm calling it for both of them. Love those women. So we're super excited. And she's not an alum, but Ayanna Presley was one of the founding board members of Emerge Massachusetts. So we love her as well, and we're excited to see what Ayanna she's going to do. Ayanna Presley, who just won her primary against Michael Okawa. Capuano, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Massachusetts 7. Yes. Ayana is a huge supporter of ours. Abigail Spanberger in Virginia, who is doing really great out there. She's one of our alums as well. So so Chitora Smalls in New Mexico, too. She's an alum. So I absolutely know we're going to get our Immerse Congressional Caucus this year, which I'm so excited about. Yeah. So once you um, once they are out there as candidates, um, do you have a national like fundraising network to help them, or 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 you, or how does that work? So they work locally with their state executive directors. So fundraising is a huge part of what we teach in the program, and we give them all of those tools on where to go to find donors. They're always welcome to come back to Emerge events, and there are Emerge donors in those rooms, and they know that they are our alums, so you're also essentially introducing yourself to the Emerge donor base as well. So everything that the women need, they're able to go to us for advice. And we actually do have our candidate list on our website, mm-hmm. and a lot of our alums yeah, tell it's us. emergeamerica.org, yeah, right? We have that on our website, and so many people will go through that and give to them. So even being associated with us in that way, being an alum, having their name on the website with people seeing them run for office, brings in campaign donations. You mentioned uh, early on, too, I think— it's not just the number of women running this year, and there there are more women, as we mentioned, running yeah. for whatever level than ever before, but more women of color too. Mm-hmm. And uh, what do you attribute that to? I think we really well. First, I have to start with the fact that for women of color, if we're speaking specifically about Black women, it really wasn't until the '60s when women of color could really get involved in politics. Yeah. So yeah. I think people don't mention that a lot that we had a late start compared to mm-hmm. non women of color. And most people when they see women of color, they think, oh, that's a voter. That's a great voter right there. That's a democratic voter. They will vote for me. But for women of color, we know that we are not just voters. We do not have to go in to the polling place and vote for other people. We're seeing women of color step up and put their name on the ballot box because it is time. We're constantly out there campaigning for everyone else, talking about their issues, talking about what they would do for the community. But we also know that we can do those same things for our community. We can serve our community well. And you see women of color stepping up and doing it with black women, they've actually been running for office more of the past few cycles. It's just now with 2018 that we're just really seeing people pay more attention mm. to the roles mm-hmm. that black women are taking with London, with Ayana, with Stacey Abrams. This has been a really long time coming with black women, women of color, really starting to own their political power and not just being voters. And Latino in the Latino community as Latinas well. Latinas as well, our indigenous sisters, our Asian sisters. 
all of us. I'm really excited to see who's going to be elected to office in November from women of color communities. No, I'm thinking, I mean, as a former Democratic chair of California, I mean, among the people that I worked with and still very good friends with, who were pioneers, really? Um, Barbara Lee. Love her. I I just fangirl whenever I'm in her presence. <laughs> <laughs> it's really embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I understand. You know, I kind of do too, right? I mean, she's incredible. Right? She is. She's yeah. so great. Uh, and has been a strong leader, you know, from from for for years and years and years, and and certainly uh, time has proven that she was right uh, in her vote against the war. In Iraq. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And oh. she stood by it. And I love that conviction. And she's a role model for all women of color, too, because she did show that you can take that dissenting vote. And while you may be criticized during that moment, you have to know your truth mm-hmm. and you have to know what's best for your district. And now. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know her, but one of my certain role models is Abrams. I know Stacy. I love her. I'm actually going out on Friday to do GOTV this weekend for her. So very and, excited. I mean, it's a sign of the times, really, and it's sort of a sad reflection on America that we've never had an African American woman mm-hmm. governor. I know. Right? Stacy right. will be the first. She is. We're claiming it for her. Yeah. I'm very yeah. excited about Stacy, another woman who I fangirl over. <laughs> I've been in involved with her campaign since the beginning. And on Twitter the other day, uh, someone actually posted a picture of two young black girls who were watching her speak. And they and they had this sign saying, Stacy, we love you. You know, uh, Georgia needs you. And to see their faces looking at her. That's why representation matters so much, not only for young girls, but also for those other women of color across the spectrum who are being told, it's not your time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They won't vote for someone who looks like you. Do you really think you can raise the money? This cycle, absolutely. Stacey is showing that you can be your authentic, natural self, have a good message, work those doors, make yeah. those phone calls, and you can prevail. And really and really ma- make, make a difference. Really yeah. make a difference. No, it is so exciting. And I do have to mention uh, another longtime friend, and I think very effective um, uh, legislator. I knew her in the state assembly, and now in Congress is Congresswoman Maxine Waters, of course, favorite target of Donald Trump. But yes. one thing, because Maxine's so good. You know, Lo- I love Auntie Maxine too. <laughs> <laughs> Auntie Maxine, or, or Maxine, my queen, as sometimes we call her on this show. But no, she's she's a, a guest on the show here, and uh, I've interviewed her m- many times and worked with her in California politics. Right? Yeah, what I love about her, and a lot of people don't give her credit, is she's really energized young people too, young people of color. That's where the Auntie Maxine comes from because they're able to look up to her and they see a member of Congress speaking truth unapologetically, and they love it because that's what they want to see. That's what gives them faith in their government and their elected officials, and I definitely don't think she gets enough credit for that. No, no, she's a rock star mm-hmm. among millennials. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. no, she really is. And willing to take on, unapologetically, to take on Donald Trump. Yeah, she, she's just come at me. <laughs> <I know. laughs> God, it's such great work that you're doing. I'm so glad that you're out there again. It's Emerge America, emergeamerica.org, making a real difference in America, a real positive difference for change and change in America's political landscape. 
um, you ought to check it out and give them all the help you can. And the candidates uh, who are uh, the alums Our of EmergeAmerica.org. EmergeAmerica.org. Uh, Ashanti Golar. Great to meet you. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. This was fun. All right. And uh, boy, uh, you think politics here is bad. What about what happened in Brazil? We'll find out more about that and other news of the day with our good friend Travis Waldron from HuffPost joins us next here in the studio. Don't go away. We'll have a quick break and then we'll be right back. Durant, middle, right side, Clay. Takes a dribble. Now the three. Got it! An NBA record for Clay Thompson. 14 threes. This is the Bill Press Show. What is that? Another record set in the NBA? Oh, yes. Sounds like it. And the man who was there at that game in Chicago joins us in studio here. Hello, everybody. On a Wednesday, October 31, Halloween. Uh, And the Bill Press Show, Travis Waldron. From HuffPost, went all the way out to Chicago. You knew it was going to happen, didn't you? Knew it. Yeah. Had it in the bag. Nailed it. Huh? Yeah, he'd been playing so horrible. He just needed me to be there <laughs> to, to in the very ball. top row of the arena. It's pretty exciting. Were you really? Very top row. <laughs> the, the, the Warriors seats, huh? as a team are absolutely horrifying. Like, it's amazing. Horrifying to play against. It's amazing. Like this is the people I was with. We were talking about on the way into the game. It's completely unfair that Clay Thompson had been horrible for the to start the season. He was shooting like fifteen percent from three, and yet they were unbeatable. Yeah, and, and then he comes out in Chicago and hits. I think it was eight three pointers in the first quarter. At one point, I remember he was he was nine of eleven from three, and that was in the first half. <laughs> I mean, it, it's like the team, the entire yeah. team, right? You've never seen anything like it. They're the and Death Star. It's a set. Um, it was um, blanket uh, who had just set the record the week well, before. Steph Curry. Steph yeah. Curry Steph just Curry. set the record Blood. last, oh, last right. week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a well, week he, before. Yeah, that was the best part of it is that Curry was just they go the Warriors go into this mode when they're the most fun when Clay does this mm-hmm. because they go into this mode where they're just going to feed him no matter what. Oh, yeah. And like every time coming down the court, you could watch them just, they were setting screens for him. Curry was looking for him on every possession. And it makes them completely unstoppable because now you have to guard Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, and an unguardable Clay Thompson. Well, that's the thing. Some of the shots I saw him make, I mean, he had two guys in his face and he's yeah. just still dropping them. Yeah, I mean, and the ones he missed were, you know, he wound, I think he wound up like 14 of 25 or something, yeah. <laughs> and that was only, you know, he missed like six of his last eight because they were just trying to get him the record, and he was chucking every shot. <laughs> and the, I mean, and the crowd, even the Bulls crowd. I was going to ask you, did the crowd get into it? Oh, they were, the, I mean, the, at one point, I think the Bulls were down like 45 in the third <laughs> quarter. I mean, the Warriors put up 95 points in the first half. You can't do anything Whoa. about that. Think about that. And Whoa. so in the second half, the the Bulls fans, you know, everybody in the arena is just like, "All right, we just want to see Clay go nuts." Yeah, yeah. And it was it was wild. The it most was, amazing thing to me is like this season, which is still pretty young, is shaping up to be just one of those offensive seasons, right? Yeah. Where you're just seeing teams pop off for you know 130 points 
pretty regularly. Well, uh, you, but you, it's all sort of mentioned yesterday. What was the final? The score was huge. I think it was like one forty-eight. Yeah, and that was with uh, at one forty-eight. Yeah. But they didn't play starters for the right. last quarter and a half. The right. Warriors right. didn't. Right. Like Clay Thompson hit the three to break the record. Went back in the game for another minute and then came out. And after that, it was just all bench guys. Yeah, he scored 52 points in 27 minutes. Yeah. That's how long he played. And so, like, you've got these high-octane offenses, which are now trying to sort of uh, emulate what the Warriors have been doing for the last couple of seasons. And the thing is, the Warriors are just amping it up. They're, they're not doing what they usually do. I mean, they are, but they're doing it times two. Yeah, they're playing <laughs> yeah. even faster. It's, it's amazing. Crazy. And, like, the thing is, is it – you really, like, when you get to see the Warriors in person, it's a different beast. This is the first time I've ever seen them play live. And the way they move off the ball and, like, the way they can get Kevin Durant wherever they want him. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were several possessions. You can see it when you watch them on TV, but when you see the way they move it in in person, when they get Kevin Durant in the middle of the lane, and now you have a 6'11 guy who shoots, like, 65% from, you know, 15 feet and in. Yeah. Like, they're they're... They could literally run the same play over and over again. And I don't like they have five variations of where the ball could go off of it. By the way, we should send our apologies to our listeners in Chicago. I yeah, I mean, sorry, yeah. WCPT. It was rough. It was rough. But <laughs> well, again, but, but like, how, what are you going to do? Even the Bulls fans got into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's so, like, you know, no offense to the Bulls, but like this season is a, is a kind of rebuilding season for them. And they have some young, talented players, a couple of whom are hurt right now. I don't think anybody was going into the, that arena expecting the the Bulls to beat the Warriors, mm-hmm. right? And it, but is then you get any, to go, you get to go, and you get to see you know Clay do that. And, is there any team in the league that? I mean, somebody can, can beat them night or, in, you know, one night. Yeah. I don't know if they, you know, who knows if they keep playing like this, <clears throat> they're. They're unstoppable. They're unstoppable. They're unstoppable. I mean, uh, seem to be like especially when you look at their own. When you know? look down the West, you know, which has been the only place where anybody could stop them, other than Cleveland in the one finals. They, I mean, Houston's struggling. They've, I don't, I don't know anybody. They're just. That's the thing. Like, if Clay's going to be that good, you've already got two of probably the best four or five players in the whole NBA. Mm-hmm. You've got. Clay is probably Clay Thompson's probably the best role player in the NBA. One of now you have you, Draymond is doing Draymond things, and they've got some young, they that you know, young kids going for twenty points the other night. It's just mm. dumb. It's great. It's it's yeah. like I don't. I'm not of of the crowd. I I get that people are upset because it takes the suspense out of it or whatever, but. Man, you watch this team play, and I don't know how to not like them. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. You know, it, I think I think uh, the thing that sums up the Warriors the best was a couple of years ago during the NBA All Star Game, where you have the very best in all of the NBA from both conferences, and there were five players from the Warriors <laughs> who uh, were mm-hmm. voted into the All Star Game, and at one point they just put the Warriors on, yeah. to play the very, very best against the other team, yeah. or the other side, yeah. and the Warriors. It was just, the, it was it's just true. the Warriors. You so you, you were saying that uh, you can't help but like them. Um, while we're on sports, we might as well continue. Would you say the same thing about the Red Sox? I can answer that. No. <laughs> <laughs> you knew what he was going to say. Um, yeah. uh, I, I, got, I will say this Red Sox team. 
they if they wore any if they wore any other uniform other than the Red Sox or probably the Yankees, they'd be so fun and so enjoyable. They're a really enjoyable baseball team until you read the name on the front of their jersey. Oh, I agree. I agree. And it's like really no. I mean, look the. It's just hard. But they had the it's jinx. hard. They had the jinx for so long. Yeah, and ever since and, then, and then, and the then Celtics the, have won, the Bruins have won, the Patriots are what? the Patriots. So instead of giving them credit, now you're saying, oh, no, look, I'm damn ha- them. Because congratulations to the people of Boston, the long-suffering Boston fans who've now won like 14 championships in well, you have to 10 years. Tip your hat to them and say, you know. Look, they're a great team. They're fun. Back. You came back big time. They're fun. It's more fun that Dustin Pedroia wasn't playing. They, that made them more fun. I love Mookie Betts. They were an they're awesome, a great team. They they're, were an awesome force, though. I mean, and they we were the were best. Talking team. about you know two outs, any other team yeah. would give up. That's when it's they insane. came alive. And in the bullpen, I mean, the, yeah, like the they get to the Dodgers bullpen and just tore them up. Yeah, yeah. And that yeah. that eighteen inning, seventeen inning oh game or God. whatever it was. Yeah. Eighteen. I was thankful. Seven hours and twenty minutes. I was thankful I was in Chicago because that was the only way that extra hour. Oh, I needed it. You, I needed it to be able to stay awake. <laughs> if you watched it to the end, you're a better man yeah. than I am. I, I did. I watched it. I, I watched it till the end, and it was a lot. <laughs> yeah, more baseball than right. we've ever had in the World Series. But it was but great. I, it was a pretty exciting World Series. I thought it was a great World. It was, series. and there were two and good teams. Two great teams. I think they were the two best teams from their respective leagues. And Boston all season was the best team in in baseball. Houston possibly aside, but they beat right, Houston. Yeah. You know they didn't, they and they didn't have a cakewalk. You know they had to go through New York, who was a hundred win team. Yeah, they went through yeah. Houston, who was a hundred win team, and they went through the Dodgers, who, even though they didn't win as many games as they probably should have on paper, I were still the most talented National League team there was. Yeah, and, David Price was a real force, right? And yeah, and, he pitched great. I mean, yeah. the whole and then Craig and Kershaw. Kimbrell getting his Two. stuff right, yeah. In the in the play, like at the back half mm-hmm. of the playoffs, and you know the if you can get the starting pitching they had and hit with two outs, and you're just not going to beat them. So, congratulations to <laughs> boss the, the long suffering Red Sox. Red Sox. Oh, yeah, yeah. Good, good thing Jamie's not here. You know, it's it's here great that they've right right. I'm <laughs> sure he's. It's great that finally something finally I think he went just Boston's took the week way. Off, he probably don't you think? <laughs> probably. And the Celtics are good too. Like, come on, we should have. Yeah. What? <laughs> just send them back to Britain. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. That was a joke. So the last time you were in, we were talking politics and we were talking presidential politics, but not in the U.S. of A. Not to, nothing about the midterms, but about. What was happening in Brazil, you uh, expressing some concerns about uh, the guy who was leading in Brazil and now turns out to be the new president. The new president, Jair Bolsonaro. It's a... Who is uh, as Trumpy as you can get, isn't he? Oh, he's worse. Worse. Yeah, I think the, the Trump comparison is the easy one to make because... It's the lens through which we view everything, and the yeah. lens through a lo- through which a lot of the world views everything. Uh, I think he's a young guy, by the way, right? Isn't he younger Early than young? Trump? Yeah, well, okay. all right. <laughs> um, Who's not? Right, right. I think, uh, but I think on on balance, it's worse. It's a it's it's for a variety of reasons. A, I think the more apt comparison is Rodrigo Duterte. 
uh, from the Philippines hmm. because you have not just the violent it's rhetoric, not, yeah. not just the violent rhetoric, but you have a society that is, you have a country that is more violent than ours already. Um, there were 60,000 homicides in Brazil last year. Each of the last two years, the homicide rate has been spiking. Uh, and they have a, a drug war going on, and, and they already have one of the deadliest police forces in the world. And I think they killed more than 5,000 people last year. The police alone. Police alone. The vast majority of which, much like here, are, are well, even different than here. It's not just proportional. It's actually the majority are, are young black men. Um, he wants to give the cops even more leeway to shoot and kill. Uh, and, you know, it's, we've seen. Like Duterte. Mm-hmm. And it, it, you know, so that's a danger. The you then go on the, you know, this is going to be a real test. Brazil is a, a youngish democracy. It's only been democracy this iteration for thirty years, and this is going to be the biggest test of of their institutions in more than two decades uh, of their Congress, of their courts, of their people. Does his party um, also control the Congress? No, they so. So Brazil's Congress is complicated because there's like 30 parties, uh, but they won 51 seats in the lower chamber, which is more than they ever have before. So they are the hold the second largest share. Uh, only the Workers' Party, the leftist party, uh, center-left party, won more. So they'll have a sizable chunk of whatever go, like governing coalition he forms. And so that'll give him power. Uh, they're, you know, they're... He he got some big wins from allies in governor's races that'll that'll help. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it'll be a question. I mean, I really think he is I don't think it's overstating it to say that he's a he's a, a threat to Brazilian democracy. Now, whether or not that means uh, the actual, you know, return of military governance, which is what a lot of people down there fear because he's a former army official. He's praised Brazil's dictatorship. He's praised Pinochet. Um, <laughs> you know, he said Pinochet's only problem was he didn't kill more. Uh, it's it's I've talked to like democracy scholars, I guess you would call them now. And, you know, the the democracies now don't collapse the way they did in the 70s and 80s during the Cold War. They don't military coups are very rare mm-hmm. the it's it's more common now that they're steadily eroded through the means of democracy so he wins an election so, right and, and now then, what happens uh and even you know even if he doesn't you know even if brazil doesn't become an, an outright autocracy or a dictatorship which is perfectly it might not happen i mean it, it could not happen the more likely idea is that it it erodes um it's going to be the 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 most predictable outcome of this is violence and violence at aimed at Brazil's already marginalized peoples, mm-hmm. LGBTQ people, black Brazilians, women, uh, indigenous Brazilians is going to, you know, he's, he said, <laughs> I don't think there's any reason not to believe what he said. I think it's one of those cases similar to Trump where people want to say, Oh, he's just saying that to gin up, Mm-hmm. unrest and to play off discontent. I, you know, if you look at what Trump's done, he's done what he said he was going to do right. on a lot of these issues or or at least tried. You know, look at yesterday. You know, we're talking about repealing birthright citizenship. These are things that he's trying to do. And you look here where the Republicans have let him do a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 
So I think this is going to be a major test for for Brazil's institutions, and and I think there's a major worry too of of kind of the the his supporters, his, the people being emboldened. But it's also part of, um, and you mentioned Duterte. I mean, a developing trend around the world. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking Duterte, of course, uh, Erdogan mm-hmm. in, in Turkey. Orban in Hungary. Orban in Hungary. Look at the rise of the AFD in Germany. Right. And now with uh, Angela Merkel saying she's not going to run for re-election, that really raises uh, the possibility there. But uh, these are people who, you point out, they're they're elected, then they Mm -hmm. threw, like Erdogan had the special referendum Mm -hmm. giving him even more dictatorial powers. And you can see that happening in Brazil. It's certainly possible. And I I think it's, it's really easy to throw all these into a box or into one basket and say, you know, we have this global right-wing movement. Uh, there are differences, right? Like Brazil doesn't have a migrant crisis or, you know, they're not dealing with large-scale numbers of refugees and immigrants the way that Europe and, yeah. um, you know, even the way Trump played off immigration here. But they do have uh, a lot of the same, the long history with race and racism and the le- the not dealing with the legacy of slavery, mm-hmm. similar to here even less dealing with here. They're a, they're a huge multicultural society uh, with a, a extreme levels of inequality. Well, I was just going to say, I bet we talk about income inequality in this country, as bad as it is It's worse here, in Brazil. It must be worse mm-hmm. in Brazil because there you've got the favelas, is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? And, yes. And the very, very, very wealthy. Right. And, yeah, and, and, you know... The, not many people the, in between, probably. The real thing, and I think the real link between Brazil... The United States, Europe, these places where the this kind of right wing sort of savior complex m- movement is coming, this backlash is coming. Right, as you have you have backlash to you have racial social backlash to others, um, but then you have the it's it's the driving factor. I think is the failure of the elites. The in Brazil, the elite the elite parties and the elite classes failed. They they made mistakes. They didn't address income inequality. The economy is broken. Uh, the you know there's a massive political corruption crisis. People were fed up, mm-hmm. and it it paved the way for somebody like Bolsonaro, right, to come in and pitch himself as a savior to offer hardline solutions to the violence crisis. People want to feel safe in that country, right, and they don't, and. Um, but there's a parallel to the disaffected people in this country who mm-hmm. ended up voting for Donald Trump just because they were fed up with the political totally. establishment of including both parties. Right. And wanted somebody who was going to shake up the system. Right. And not necessarily as a Republican, but just as And a, it's it's similar to here, too, in that the those same elites, many of those same elites got in bed with, with that figure. Mm-hmm. You know, Brazil's financial and business elites got in bed with Bolsonaro when the center right collapsed. Yeah. Uh, you look at the the vote breakdown and the the higher you go up the income scale, the more likely people were to support him. The vast majority of his votes came from richer Brazilians. And you know, you have this system that I mean, he won overwhelmingly, right? Yeah, he got 55% of the valid votes, which is another thing to, you know, oh. They have two columns. There's the Apparently valid votes so, huh? and the invalid <laughs> No, votes. so valid right. votes is the ones that were they ch- ma- voting's mandatory in Brazil. So valid votes are the ones that uh, chose a candidate as opposed to voting 
none oh. of the above. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, there are similarities and there are reasons to think that you know, the left is going to, the left and his opponents are going to push back because he didn't get a majority of votes, of, of mm. overall votes. Mm. He's mm-hmm. a, it was around 40% or so of the total population, of the total voting population, his share of votes. There's already been wide-scale protests against him, even before he won. And I think there's a there's going to be pushback. There's going to be an organized effort to fight to protect the gains that those marginalized groups have made and to protect them from what could happen. But it's a scary situation. I mean, this is yeah. and the thing is is, you know, this is not I think I made this point when we were we were when I was here last time. This is not some backwater developing country. Like Brazil is the ninth largest economy in the world. It's the fourth largest democracy in the world. It's the largest democracy in Latin America. It's the largest non-nuclear superpower in the world. Brazil plays a vital role in global and hemispheric affairs. I must admit, I don't think of Brazil as that big a player. You look look around that, you know, Mm -hmm. Brazil is a leader on the fight against climate change. Mm -hmm. We might lose that now. His he has oh. proposals to open up the Amazon to business interests, yeah, mining yeah. and agricultural in- interests that could be devastating right, for not just for that. Brazil in and not just for the Amazon, but the for rain, the world. The rainforest kiss mm-hmm. it goodbye, yeah. right? You know, so you've it, got you know a, a, an annihilation of indigenous people that still live in the in the rainforest, right? Uh, and the, the lungs ra- of the planet. The, 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 exactly, the, the rainforest uh, contributes to about a quarter <laughs> of the oxygen that we need. Yeah, and it's not just that. I mean, if you look at the old, the IPCC report that came out a few weeks ago, it basically said if we're gonna if we're gonna do this, we we've got to reforest, right? Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, as opposed, you know, to- Brazil has actually been doing a good job at that. They've been Brazil has been a leader in cutting emissions, in reforesting, in protecting. In- so, how long before Donald Trump invites him to the White House? Uh, he well, Bolsonaro he called him the night of the election, according to Bolsonaro, and then he tweeted about it the morning after. Uh, and mm-hmm. he, Bolsonaro says he's coming here within the year. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, which is okay. another thing. I mean, another, you go down the list of impacts. It's really hard because uh, like my focus you know, tends to be on what it's going to mean for the Brazilians because yeah. they're going to be the most immediately impacted. But then you look at the combination of Trump, uh, Bolsonaro and Uribe in Colombia and what that might mean for the Venezuela situation and the crisis. There's already been talk of, uh, you know, military solutions being on the oh, table yeah. in no, Venezuela so, and yeah you know there's you have a massive what's a burgeoning you know kind of refugee immigration crisis there and what's going to happen now if Colombia and Brazil who have been two of the big countries taking in people from Venezuela close their doors uh just a couple of minutes left I've got to ask you about another thing you've been working on jack of all trades here uh, <laughs> uh Travis Waldron from uh, from HuffPost but you've been tracking the teachers uh, from the days of their when they were out there protesting mm-hmm. very successfully in a, in a few states to now where they're uh, really jumped in to the political movement. A lot of them running for office. Where do you see that happening? Yeah. Well, so one of the so the place I've been following closest is in Kentucky. Oh, home uh, state. yes. <laughs> home because there were protests there and there's a lot of teachers running and they, you know, the the Kentucky thing is going to be interesting because not just it's not just going to affect this year, but they have a governor's race next year, mm-hmm. and you have all this pushback. And teachers are leading a lot of that. They, the interesting thing I think from the teachers is not just running from off running for office in these states. My colleague Dave Jamison wrote a really good story 
uh, profiling a teacher in New York who might flip the New York State Senate. Wow, wow. You know, really? To, yeah. yeah uh, if he wins. And so you get you know, this effect, and whether that'll, in these states like Kentucky, Oklahoma, Arizona, West Virginia, will change, start to change the shape of public education debates. Who knows? Um, the other question is, they could change House races. You know, mm-hmm. in Kentucky, the 6th District, where Amy McGrath, the fighter pilot that has made a lot of noise, um, told me that the teacher organizing has been huge for her. Yeah. And that's what they're doing a lot of, the organizing behind different candidates, governor candidates. And uh, and then you go into, like, next year in Kentucky is probably going to be the biggest governor's race of 2019. And this teacher thing has, yeah. has really hurt, has contributed to hurting Matt Bevan, who is now, I think, the fourth most unpopular governor, hmm. fourth least popular governor, yeah. I guess, if I use right. my language correctly, uh, in yeah. the country. So, yeah, the yeah, we'll see what happens next week. Yeah. And how many of them but win. But the teachers but, have always been a powerful political force, particularly on organizing level, and now e- mm-hmm. even more so. Yeah, and know, one, of the, one of the interesting things in Kentucky, I think, that I kept hearing was not just the teacher part and the education part, but it really helped solidify attack on a working class yeah. message. Yeah, the parents, everybody getting behind them. Hey, Travis, it's so good to see you. Thanks you for too. coming in. Thanks All for right. having me. Hey, have a great Wednesday, folks. Happy Halloween. We'll see you tomorrow. This Lots of candy. This is the Bill Press Show.